This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Um, can I just say this? And I'm actually going to, I don't often use the word Satan. I usually often say the word enemy because uh, the majority of people have a hard time hearing the word Satan. It's almost like they're like, yeah, I can recognize that there's an enemy, but if you use the word Satan, that just seems mystical and kind of unreal. Um, But this morning I want to use that word when I say this because I want to get the impact to you. Do you have any idea why Satan hates humanity? It's because God loves humanity. Do you have any idea why Satan comes so hard and oppressive against God's children called Christians? Because the Father loves us and because we have the divine nature of God, the revelation of Jesus Christ inside of us. And you know that song that we were singing about this is life, that he is inside of us and he is all over. And the angels marvel at that. And do you know why that is so? It's because angels cannot receive salvation. Only mankind, God sent Jesus Christ to give salvation to mankind. And Satan was the the worshiper, the head worshiper, he was an angel. So when he sinned and he fell, there was no salvation for him. And the moment that he sinned, he had known the very presence and glory of God. He knew the love of God and sinned and then was separated and into darkness and has no ability to come back. Can you imagine the torment that that is it that is for him? There is no salvation for him. So he comes against humanity trying to make sure that you too will be tormented, that you too will not engage and encounter the presence of the living God, the Father's love, so that you can be saved through Jesus Christ and be in that loving presence. Evil wants other things to experience the same kind of evil. Hurt wants to hurt. Hate wants to hate. Revenge wants to take revenge. So this morning, I just want to embark on my message with the recognition that we don't just have an enemy. There is an enemy named Satan. He wants to replicate All of that hurt and that anger, that unlovingness, that unforgiveness, offense, torment, pain, oppression, depression. He wants to to represent that to you. But as we talked last week, God the Father through Jesus Christ, who calls us into the family of God because of his love, wants us to represent the love of the Father to all mankind. 
Is that not a, an amazing contrast of what is going on in our world? And we recognize that that conflict is out there. You know, we watch it in our movies all the time. Um, but can I say even now, it's interesting to watch what's happening with the movies. Um, I have not seen Suicide Squad, but I have seen the trailer. And what was interesting to me in that trailer was this. That whereas we've had superhero movies before and it was light against dark and the good always went out against the dark, what seems to be happening in the movie of the Suicide Squad is this, is that they're taking some people who are bad and, and saying, well, we're bad, but we're not evil. So we're the bad ones going up, up against evil. It's no longer good against evil it's now bad against evil. I find that very interesting because as with anything, with the love of the Father, the Word of God, the enemy always tries to just move the boundary just a little bit more and a little bit more until we're okay that the good guys are the bad guys. Isn't that interesting? This morning, I just want to highlight what I talked about last week, for those that were not here last week, and I had the honor and the privilege of talking about the Father's love, and the idea that the way that we receive the love of the Father through Jesus Christ is the way we will give or represent the Father and the Son to those that are around us. And I highlighted three points regarding the Father's love. Number one was that God never had to reveal himself to mankind or send his son. He didn't owe us Christ. He chose to give us Christ and to give us Christ that we would be saved and have be set free from our sins. Number two was that God is love. It is his nature. Love is not based on our works or purity or our good, good life. It's based on the nature of the one giving the love. So even though we sit in sin, he gave us Jesus Christ because his nature is love so that we could come, have our sins forgiven, and be then um, embraced by his love so that we can experience that nature and that love inside of us. It has nothing to do with, you don't have to come to Christ because, you don't come to Christ because you are pure. You come to Christ so that you can be made pure. Number three, the third thing I mentioned was that God loved us first, that Jesus condemned and embraced sin so that we could be forgiven and embraced by the Father's love. And then I mentioned that there was one thing at that particular moment in time that the Father wanted us to do with the knowledge of his love, and that was to embrace his love, to just give ourselves over to it. And that concept that first he loved us, and now we, he loved us first. So first he loved us, now we, he wants us to embrace his love. And the second thing that I'm going to be highlighting today that God wants us to do with the knowledge of the love of the Father is this. He wants to embrace others with that same kind of love. So first he, now we. He loved us first. So first he loved us, now we love him, now we love others. He loved us first. So last week's message, the two-part series has been called Embraced. Last week's message was first he. This week's message of embraced is now we. First John 4 and 19, first we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. And I wasn't actually going to share this story. Um, I just wanted to be, I wanted to honor 
the other individuals in the story. But I won't be saying any names, so that's okay. And uh, only one person here would know what I'm talking about, it, and it's my husband. So, um, In one of the churches that we attended, uh, there was a family that they struggled. They, the wife was a Christian. Um, they had three little boys. They struggled terribly financially. Uh, she was one of the most patient, kind, forgiving people I have ever met, but she struggled financially and she struggled with her past that caused her to hoard everything. So her home and her family life was devastated by just stuff. And, and the house, if you were to walk into the house, it was just packed top to bottom, forwards and backwards, up and down, every room, you could barely move. And so because of that too, then it became unclean, so it was unhygienic. Um, so then you, she also had the three boys, um, but then not just children, she also had many animals. <laughs> um, and she was um, an individual that worked three jobs because she, they were trying to stay off of welfare, they were trying to do the right thing. Um, so she worked three jobs trying to provide for her family. And so I give that context so that you know I honor her in everything that she was trying to come out of and how she was trying to get her, her life right with God and how she was then leaning on other Christian support to help her in this. So there came a time where as I got to know her and I got involved in her family and I recognized what was going on, um, they had moved from uh, an apartment into a home and the same thing happened in their home. So over a period of, I'm going to say, probably about two years, there were three different times that not just myself, but, but also my husband and a couple of others, ended up having to go into this home and literally rent, a, rent a, one of those big garbage bins, put it in her driveway, and just start chucking and try to get that house into a state of cleanliness. Um, CAS was involved at different times. And just get it into a proper place where this family could perhaps start to thrive, perhaps start to grow and to flourish. And by the third time, this, and this would be the third time actually going down into their basement, it had flooded, it was wet, it was full of everything you could possibly imagine, and it was full of feces. So everything was covered in feces. And the third time going into this, I'm standing literally thigh deep in mess. And I'm covered with, you know, I've got gloves on and all that kind of stuff. And it smells, you're literally, you're holding your breath so that you can't, you're not breathing anything in. And I remember looking up to God. I was the only one in the basement in this moment. I said, God what am I doing here? And he said, you asked to see my face. You asked to see my glory. This is it. This is the face of Jesus Christ. This is my glory. First he, now we. First we receive and embrace his love. And then now we 
give that love to others. If you want to see the face of God, don't look for the goosebumps. If you want to see the glory of God, yes, there is that tangible presence of the glory of God that comes into a place, but it only comes into a place to change a mind, to change a heart, to change a life, to set free, to bring the love of the Father to his people so that we reveal and represent that love to another. He came into the mess of humanity so that we can go into the mess of humanity and represent him. You know, it's interesting that the scripture I read last week from the message said literally that God the Father went for the jugular of Satan when he sent Jesus to die on the cross take on all of the torment, all of the pain, all of the depression, all of the oppression, all of the sickness, Jesus Christ went for the jugular of Satan, our enemy. And he says, I embrace all of that sin. I embrace all of that torment, all of that pain, all of that anger, all of that hatred, all of that bitterness, everything that is dark, I have embraced it on the cross so that you can be embraced by my love and then give it away. First he, now we. Live love. Isn't that amazing? I don't know what God's going to do today because I did not mean to share that. So I'm just, uh, we will just see how today goes. Okay, 1 John 4, 17 to 18 says this. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God. Amazing, because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. Do you know him today? Have you really embraced the God kind of love that he set out through the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it, and I have said it, and I will continue to say it. I will never back down from this. Love cannot come outside of Jesus Christ and still stay true to the truth. It will always deviate from the truth if you do not receive the love of God through the one that he sent, which is his only begotten son, which is Jesus Christ. If you want to access the love of the Father, if you want to access God's love for you and for humanity and make sure that you are truly walking in love, you must access that love through Jesus Christ, the one that he sent. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that they have done to our relationship 
with God. First he, now we. He clears away the, re- the damage that the enemy, that Satan has done to our relationship with God. He clears away the isolation and the separation so that we can also have God come and clear away the damage that our sin, that other people's sin has done to us in our relationship so that it can be restored and receive the life and the love of God as he has always intended. Verse 11 to 12 says this, My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us, And his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. 17 to 18. God is love. When we take up a permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. Live love. The foundation to loving others then is this. The Bible says... Love only the lovely and those who do good to you. I think my husband might defer on that because he's like, well, sometimes I have to love you, Rachel. (laughs) I'm not always lovely (laughs) and I'm not always good. Luke 6, 27 to 30 says this, to you who are ready for the truth. Are you ready for the truth? I say this, love your enemies. Wow. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. Who here has had the worst brought out in them? (laughs) When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, whoa, stand there and take it. Are you kidding? (laughs) You slap me, I'm going to slap you right back. Put on the boxing gloves. I've even said that here. You know, some of you are going to hate me by the time I'm finished my message. The boxing gloves are at the back. We'll get in the ring. Let's go. (laughs) If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. Oh, my goodness. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat. Live generously. Okay. We have a lot to live up to. (laughs) I think we could probably camp on that scripture for the next year. And if we actually were to be able to put into practice tangibly what Christ and God has just said for us to do, then we would transform our world because they would see the love of the Father through us in amazing ways. So as mentioned last week regarding God's nature, um, I talked about the concept that if you have an orange and you squeeze an orange, that because of its nature, what you're going to get out of it is orange juice. And then when God got squeezed on the cross, because of his nature, what came out of him was love. And, And we saw that because literally Christ on the cross, in the midst of all the pain and the torment, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I wonder this morning... What is our nature? What is our nature? 
what comes out of us when we get squeezed. When God says, I'll tell you the truth. Are you ready for the truth? Love your enemies. Did you not get squeezed a little bit right there? What came out? (laughs) Are you kidding me? I want revenge. I just want to hold on to that hate just a little bit longer. I want to hold on to that wrong thing that they did just a little bit longer. But literally the Bible says that forgiveness and love holds no records of wrong. Wow. Wow. How many of us have an uh, unconscious maybe? I'm going to say unconscious. Conscious. Damon's already ready to put his hand up. He's like, I'm right there. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> we have an unconscious checklist of what other people have done to us. But our checklist, there's no record. It's gone. It's wiped clean. It's good. Isn't that amazing? But who did Jesus Christ actually forgive when he was hanging on the cross? Let's ask that question. Was it the disciples at his feet? Who we would think of as being really, really good, already in love with Jesus, already following him? Was it just the disciples at his feet? Was it just the pure virgin mother Mary that was at his feet? You know, we would look at Mary and go, okay, if anybody's going to be pure, that's the one. (laughs) Was it just her that he was forgiving when he was on the cross? As we know, no, that's not the truth. It was also the very people that had put him on the cross. It was the thief that was beside him. It was the soldiers that were at his feet. It was Pilate that was still sitting in his king's palace with all of his pleasures and everything around him while Jesus was on the cross in torment, taking all of the pain and all of the sins and even the very decision that Pilate had made to put him on the cross. Jesus was carrying that. It was the Jews. It was his own people and it was the Romans, and it was you and I that he forgave when he was on that cross. That's God's nature. So again, as I mentioned earlier, so what is our nature? What comes out of us when we get squeezed, when our spouse frustrates us, when someone doesn't behave like a Christian because they aren't a Christian? (laughs) Can I say that's a pet peeve for me? You know, honestly... And, and I'm going to say it's a pet peeve now because I've also walked through that process until God went knock, knock, knock on my head and said, hello, how can you expect them to behave like I want them to behave when one, you know me, you can't behave that way. And two, they, have no, they don't have my grace and strength inside of them to behave that way. Do we want a moral society? Yes. Do we want a society that gets along? Yes. But honestly, we can't expect people to behave the way Christ says to behave if they don't know him and they don't have the strength and the grace to do it. That's why the law could not change a heart. That's why Christ came to, to, not, to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and to give us the grace and the strength to carry out the law. So what comes out of us in traffic? And I'm going to say this. What comes out of you on Facebook? <laughs> you know, I've, I've talked about Facebook a few times, and you're probably going to get tired over it after a while, but I have to admit, I laugh. Some of the stuff I see on Facebook, I have to laugh, because um, I'm thinking, man, you, you might not want to represent that on Facebook. You might not want to put that out there, because that's not showing the love of Christ. You know, you might want to take that to prayer first. Take it to, here we go. Okay, so here's a tool for you. 
before you post anything on Facebook, go into your prayer closet, pray about it, and then come back out and see what God says for you to put on Facebook. Sound good? A very good tool to use so that you can fulfill Luke 6, 27 to 13 that we just read. (laughs) Sounds good to me. What comes out of you because of past experiences? So I'm just going to give you a little story. So there's a little girl, and she's walking with her dad, and they come across this yard where there's this this barking, vicious dog, and the dog is barking, but he can't get to her because he's on a chain. But the little girl is terrified. So then after that, every time they go by this yard... She thinks that the dog is going to bark, but he actually doesn't. But she gets to the yard, and she's just frozen still. And so the father, he's like, well, honey, come on, it's okay. The dog isn't even barking. But she turns to her father, and she says, yes, but he's barking on the inside. (laughs) What's barking on the inside of you when you get squeezed? What are the things from your past experiences that are still terrifying you, still keeping you frozen and in spot? What are those things that are keeping you from experiencing the love of Jesus Christ and representing him to others the way he wants you to? He doesn't want you to stay stuck in those past experiences. He doesn't want you to stay stuck in those things that are continuing to bark. He wants to remove those things so that you can move on and represent him to somebody else and help them get set free and he has the you have the grace and the power to do it through Jesus Christ Jesus said that people will know we are his disciples by our love for one another today I'm not talking about the ones that we find easy to love I want us to go deeper so a question that I want to try to answer today in a very small time period it's all good How do we love those who don't seem to have the right to be loved? Number one, by recognizing that we all need the same love and forgiveness from God. No one can boast. We can only boast in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. An example, and I read it last week, but I'm actually going to read the scripture today. It says this from Luke 7. A sinful woman anoints Jesus. That's what it's called. It says, Then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. When a sinful woman from that town learned that Jesus was dying there, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and to wipe them with her hair, and then she kissed his feet and anointed them with perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who this is and what kind of a woman is touching him, for she is a sinner. But Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. You know, can we just stop there for a second? Can you imagine what that moment must have looked like? Because the Pharisee said to himself, so he didn't say it out loud. And And the scripture says, but Jesus answered him, And then he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. So when I read that, I'm thinking, okay, so here they're all all reclining at the table. This moment has happened. The Pharisee is judgmentally thinking for himself inside of his own head. How many of us do that? We're like, thank you, Jesus, that only you (laughs) know my thoughts. (laughs) Because if there was a little thought bubble over my head, 
it might not be so pretty <laughs> for the person down the row. Anyway, the pastor that's at the front. Um, so, but he said, he answered him. So he was answering the Pharisee. But he said to Simon, so I think Jesus said out loud so that the Pharisee who he had heard his thoughts, even though the Pharisee hadn't said it out loud, he said to Simon, I, wanted to have, I will have something to tell you so that the Pharisee could hear this out loud. He said, two men were debtors to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay him, he forgave both of them. Which one then will love him more? I suppose the one who was forgiven more, Simon replied. You have judged correctly, Jesus said, because her many sins have been forgiven. She has loved much. But, who, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, so he said to the sinful woman, your sins are forgiven. And often we read this scripture at face value, which is many sins, great forgiveness, great love, little amount of sin, little forgiveness, little love. But after meditating on it this week, I saw something that I hadn't seen before. And I was thinking about this concept that, this question that wouldn't that thought process keep people who've lived a seemingly pure life according to the world's standards relegated to only loving a little? So they get forgiven, but then they would only be relegated to loving other people just a little bit because they were only forgiven for a little bit, you know, big deal, you know, kind of thing. And I thought that was rather odd, because it just doesn't quite fit with the Word of God. It doesn't quite fit with the Christian community and the Christian family and what we expect of absolutely each and every one of us. And, and it says this, that the Pharisee who thought he was pure stated, for she is a sinner. So he recognized she's a sinner, but not we, not us, not me, the Pharisee, um, but she is a sinner. And then Jesus turned to the, sin, the sinful woman who recognized her need of him and said, your sins are forgiven. Not the Pharisee, not the one who doesn't think he needs me, but you who are crying at my feet and anointing me and are repenting and going, oh my goodness, I need you, Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. What Jesus was trying to get Simon and the Pharisee to see was that a debt is a debt, no matter how big or small. I thought that was really interesting, that out loud he was trying to, despite what it sounded like he was saying, he was trying to get Simon to think this through. He was trying to get Simon to engage with what was happening in this home and what was happening before him. And he wanted Simon to begin to understand that no matter the debt, seemingly small or big, we all need God's forgiveness. And if we all need God's forgiveness, then it requires the very same sacrifice, and it requires the same release of love and forgiveness. The sinful woman understood that Jesus was her only means of paying her debt, whether she had sinned greatly or not. And I want to give one example, and I'm going to have to close very, very quickly. I'm going to, but I just want to give an example of um, the concept of boundaries, okay? So I have this rope, and I want you to pretend 
that this is representing a boundary line, okay? And on this side of the boundary line is where we are protected, and this is our property, and this is where we want to stay. And outside of that boundary line is, represents danger, and we don't want to go there, it's unsafe, et cetera, et cetera. So if I'm inside of the boundary line, okay, here, and I step over the boundary line at this spot, am I still in the boundary or am I outside of the boundary all the way down there too? I'm outside of the boundary all the way down there too. Excellent. Okay, now if you can pretend that this boundary line represents the Ten Commandments, okay? So all of the Ten Commandments are lined up on this boundary line, okay? So if we say at this spot where we might think a sin is small in terms of the Ten Commandments, I'm going to say maybe you think a lie is small, okay? So if I lie and I step outside of the Ten Commandments, and the Bible says that when we break one sin, we break them all. If I step outside of that boundary line and I'm lying, but I think it's a small sin, do you think that I have not broken the rest of the sins? Am I still within the Ten Commandments? We're not, right? Right. So no matter how big or small our sin is, we still need the exact same love, the exact same sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the exact same forgiveness of the Father to touch us all. So if we're going to learn to love another, love our enemies, we have to recognize that we all need the exact same love, forgiveness, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ to cover those sins. And I'm just going to skip over to number two, and that is that our forgiveness is tied to our love and forgiveness of others. This is a hard concept to grasp, but I'm hoping that my demonstration here will, will also help out with this. So there are two translations. Matthew 6, 14 to 15 says this, for you forgive other people when they sin against you, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And in another translation of the message, it says this, in prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. So either Christ's sacrifice, and this is huge, okay, in order for us to get this. Either Christ's sacrifice is sufficient to cover all and every sin, or it isn't sufficient to cover any. I'm going to come back to my demonstration. If we step out on this portion of the Ten Commandments, and we say, well, because that is a little sin, Christ's um, Christ sacrifice is sufficient to cover that little sin. But without recognizing that somebody in our life that has maybe, we think, sinned more greatly than we have, that his sacrifice cannot cover theirs. So because of my hurt and because of my pain, because of my bitterness, because of my need of revenge, he cannot cover that sin. I will not forgive. Christ then says, well, you two are still outside of the, the, the boundary. You're outside of the, the covenant. You're outside of the Ten Commandments. So then if they can't, be saved, they can't be saved and forgiven, then neither can you. 
Because once you step out in one place, you stepped out in the mall, right? Are we getting that? Does that make sense? So hopefully, that's one thing that can help us remember or learn how to love our enemies, is that our forgiveness is tied to our love and forgiveness of others. And I'm going to skip to number three and say this, that we are partakers of his divine nature. You know, Christ never gives us a truth to fulfill without giving us the ability to fulfill what he demands. So when, when God puts down a truth and a demand a command, he says, because I have given you my divine nature, I have given you my grace, I've given you my strength, I will help you to love your enemies, I will help you to love them, first he, now we, we were first enemies of God when we were, when we sinned and we were separated from God, but God came and he loved his enemies, those that were as far from him as he could possibly be because he cannot be near sin. And now he imparts to us his divine nature so that we can come alongside of those that are around us and love our enemies as well. Second Peter 1 and 4 says this, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Luke 6, 31 to 36 says this, Here is a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself, what do you want people to do for you? Then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden-variety sinners do that. If you only give what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us. Generously and graciously, even when we are at our worst, our Father is kind, you be kind. And I'm going to end with this, with this um, story. And the worship team can come back if they would like to um, at this moment. So um, I've actually, you know, I don't hate Facebook. I love Facebook. I really do. Um, and I happened to see this video on Facebook. And um, it was an um, interview that was happening. So there was this older lady, elderly lady, and I believe they said she was in her 70s, and she had just recently lost her husband two weeks before, and she was then visiting her grave, and as she left the grave and went to get into her car, she was mugged and she was robbed. And um, so they actually knew who the mugger was, so they were able to put his picture up on television, and so they showed his picture, and I think they even were able to say his name. And um, so a teenage boy saw this on television, and he instantly recognized it as his estranged father, who he saw periodically, but his father had not had a lot of in, uh, impact or, or uh, connection in his life, because for most of his, his, his life, his father had been in prison because of some crimes that he had committed. And he realized that it was his father that had mugged this lady, well, he had such a conscience over this and such a, a desire. He said, I do not want to be like the nature of that father. I do not want to be like him. 
And so he contacted, I think, a few different people who contacted this elderly lady. And they ended up meeting in a church parking lot so that this teenage boy of this father who committed this crime could come. And he said to her a few weeks back, um, my father gave me $250 to go to this trip that I wanted to go on for school. But I don't know where that money came from now. And it might even be yours. So I want to, first of all, I want to extend to you my apology on behalf of my father. And I want to give you back this money. And this lady, she was so gracious with him and she received the money and she received the apology and she said, now that that money is now mine again, I want to give it back to you. You go on that trip. And she said, for somebody to have such a soft, sensitive conscience like that, we need to be blessing that in this world. So this teenage boy not only apologized, but what his father owed for his crime, he chose to take on himself and to pay it back on his behalf. But in the process of that, he was so blessed that not only did this lady get a restoration of apology and money, but when she did, she gave it back to him. To say, what a representation of what the, the father's heart is. He says, don't be like the father of lies, Satan. Don't have his nature, which is to hate your enemies. Have the nature of the heavenly father to love your enemies. Recognize that I have... I've been this pure, I sent my pure, innocent son on your behalf that he would pay your debt, that he would apologize so that you would be forgiven and your debt would be paid and you could be blessed. You could receive the love of the Father and his divine nature. First he, now we. Is that not a beautiful love that God has given us? Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.